Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, come on, Block Church. It's the week of Christmas. It's here. Oh, my word, it snuck up on some of us. We're so glad that you're with us today. If you, we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Scott Mitchell, Elder Scott, Mr. Scott, whatever you want to call me. But I'm so honored to be able to lead us in this uh, last service of the year, other than candles and carols, here at the Emerald Room. So we look forward to that. Um, but I want to share as we get into Philippians chapter four, I just want to start with the first verse real quick because I want it to catapult us into honoring some very, very special people here uh, today. So the verse says this, and this is written by the apostle Paul. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, he's referring to people in a church as family, which is what a healthy family should look like, right? In the church, you whom I love, who I long for. And he says, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord. Do you realize that every Sunday we have services in five different locations as well as online? And you know what? These services could not happen if it wasn't for so many of you who volunteer on block teams every single week. We are so, so thankful. And today we want to honor all of our volunteers, all of our block team members. Would you please stand if you serve on a block team so we can recognize in every location? I want you to stand. If you're in your living room online and you serve, stand. We wanna thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. I know I speak for all of our pastors and staff. We love you. We appreciate you so, so much. Thanks for being part of the Block family and for serving so faithfully. So are you ready for Christmas? All right, six more shopping days, six more days of ridiculous traffic, long lines, annoying people, coughs, colds, sore throats. Ear infections, any, any, anybody got kids with ear infections and pink eyes going around? It's the most wonderful time of a year. I don't know about that. But uh, really, there are some joy busters. And what's amazing is in my notes here in my introduction, I was gonna share my least favorite Christmas song. The one that takes me totally out of my Christmas spirit, my Christmas joy. It was actually sung today. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me some tears, I'll give it to someone special. You know, I, and then the verse goes on. I just want to, just some great lyrics here. Once bitten and twice shy, I keep my distance, but you still catch my eye. <laughs> Tell me, baby, do you recognize me? Well, it's been a year. It doesn't surprise me. You know, I want to I wanna throw up every time I hear that song. You know, turn the radio off. Somebody's with me. I want to say like, yo, girl, like, why in the world do you get, give your heart to this tool bag anyway? Right? And why are you about to like give your heart away again this Christmas to some other tool bag? I mean, it does not make any sense to me. Hey, girl, how about this year you give your heart to Jesus? Right? How about that? He'll hold that heart and uh, you can trust him because he is someone special for sure. But seriously, joy for me going into the holiday season, um, besides the love of Jesus in my life, are some very special people. So let me put some pictures up of my family who bring me great joy. The first is my incredible wife. 
Many of you know her. This is our 35th Christmas together we're celebrating. And by the way, she said, honey, this is yesterday. She said, honey, let's go out to the mall. And I said, what's the mall? They still have those. And, and she picked out this outfit for me, so, huh? So if you have any fashion questions, hashtag Lisa Mitchell, and she'll be glad to, to help you with that. Um, also, my uh, beautiful family, my, my three kids, two of their spouses, and my little baby grandson. His name is Mason. He is the most incredible little guy. I just love spending time. When, 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 when my daughter-in-law's car comes up to my house, I, I get all excited. Like, like, it is Christmas every time my grandson shows up. He is the best little guy, and he brings so much joy. Can't wait to see his eyes light up. Uh, Christmas morning. It's going to be so much fun. So I hope you enjoy your uh, Christmas with family. Um, but today we are in the last message of Philippians chapter four. Are you thankful for this series? For those of you that have been a part of it, it's been amazing. And today what I want you to do is I introduce one last time this last message. I want you to take out your keys. Everybody's got a set of keys. Come on, take them out. Everybody take them out. You got to do it. Everybody's got keys somewhere. Pull them out. All right, now I want you to trust me with this. I want you to hand your keys to the person next to you. Okay, now come on, hand them over. Trust me on this. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, today after the service, you're all going home with a new car. And, and if you handed the keys to your spouse, sorry. Sorry, it's the same old car. All right, but think about this for a second. Keys do what, ladies and gentlemen? Boys and girls, they unlock things. They open doors. And, and some of you got keys like I do. Like, I have no idea like, what this key actually opens. I'm not sure. But some of them I do know. And keys unlock things. They open things. And today I want to talk to you about how to unlock from Philippians 4 joy like never before in your life. And the fact is, if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got these keys on your keychain. Some of you aren't sure how to use them, what doors are meant to be open. But today, we're going to share seven keys that will help you unlock joy. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app open to Philippians 4, and I want to start in verse 4, where it says these words from Paul, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Always. And again, in case you didn't get it, I say what? Rejoice. Key number one, if you want more joy in your life, is you got to choose joy in the Lord. Yeah. In the Lord is key. And by the way, to rejoice doesn't mean that we never feel depressed or never feel sad about anything, right? You know, that's called being human, by the way. We don't ignore the pain in our lives and just try to put on a happy face. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. In fact, he's writing this from where, ladies and gentlemen? From prison. In fact, by the way, the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament says, rejoice always. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Do you know what the shortest verse in the English New Testament is? Some of you know it. John 11, verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Rejoice always, but Jesus wept. Did you ever think about the irony of those two concepts? It's a paradox. In fact, we're told as believers to weep with those who weep. 
that sorrow and, and difficulties and struggles in life are a part of the human experience. But in the midst of all that, we can still have joy. But you know what? You've got to make a distinction in your mind. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Some of you are thinking you're looking for joy, but what you're really looking for is happiness. But I got to tell you something. Happiness is dependent or requires happenings. Happiness has all everything to do about the circumstances being what we want. You know, if the Eagles win, I'm a happy boy. But you can ask my wife, if the Eagles lose, I ain't so happy. I mean, it can last like a week where I'm just, you know, miserable. You know, but you know, joy is not happiness, my friends. Joy is something that comes from within. Joy is something that God can produce in our lives no matter what the circumstances are. In fact, the text doesn't say, be joyful always about your circumstances. It doesn't say that. It says, doesn't say be joyful about the sickness in your home right now. It doesn't say be joyful about your struggling marriage or your messed up kids. It doesn't say be joyful about your frustrating job or your boss that you can't stand. No, it says be joyful always in who? In the Lord. That is so, so key. I found in my life, that the only way that I can have joy always is to have the Prince of Peace, Jesus, in my heart, my life. This is where you say amen. And uh, this alone, by the way, is great motivation for some of you who are here today and you've never given your heart or life to Jesus. Uh, man, one of the greatest benefits of having Jesus in your life is that he is with you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter what's going on in your life, I can, I can give you a joy, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. My wife and I, when we uh, first got pregnant, back in the dark ages, the 90s, <laughs> Uh, we were pregnant and we were so excited about our first child and everything was going pretty well until partway through. And we got to about 30 weeks. Ladies, how long does a normal pregnancy last? 40, some of you know that. But at 30 weeks, some things started to change. And in the middle of the night at one o'clock in the morning, my wife woke me up and she was in terrible pain. She says, I think we need to go to the hospital. It wasn't labor pain. She wasn't going into early labor. It was something else. And so I drove her as quickly as I could to the hospital. And we got there and they quickly admitted us and put wires and things, just to kind of monitor things. And I remember from one o'clock in the morning till about five o'clock in the morning sitting there and they had her to a blood pressure cuff that would go off about every 30 minutes. And every time it went off, the blood pressure just kept getting higher and higher. I mean, it was 200 over 100 and something. I don't remember, but that was the last one that I remember seeing at five when I finally ran out of that room to the nurse's station and said, are you watching my wife's blood pressure? And sure enough, they came in. They called the doctor who didn't make it until about 6 a.m. And they uh, you know, ran some tests on her and they basically told us, we've got to get this baby out and we need to get this baby out now. What was happening was the pregnancy was shutting down my wife's vital organs. And, uh, and so, you know, they're wheeling her into surgery and I'm just kind of walking behind, like I'm going in. And they said, where do you think you're going? Get back to the waiting room. And this is before a cell phone. So I'm in a waiting room all by myself. And honestly, where does my mind run? I'm about to lose my wife. 
I might be about to lose my daughter, which I didn't even know was a girl at the time. We didn't, we didn't find out. And um, I began to wrestle with uh, anxiety. And you've been there, I'm sure. And Lindsay was born, emergency C-section. Here's the picture of what she looked like. One pound, 13 ounces. And I just have to tell you that in the midst of that anxiety, when I was alone in that room and just having a conversation with God, won't give you all the details. I sensed the presence of God like never before. I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, son, I've got this. It's going to be okay. Your wife, your baby, they're in my hands. And so Lindsay was born one pound. She was in a NICU for 65 days in one of those little isolates, you know, and uh, it took a while before we could bring her home. But I got to tell you, truly in that moment, the joy of the Lord was my strength. And he wants to be yours as well. But the key, first key for joy is you have to choose joy in the Lord, not in your circumstances, in the Lord. Second key I want to share with you is found in verse five. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is what? Near. In other words, key number two, you have to choose gentleness in the Lord. The Lord is near. And the fact that the Lord is near and he's watching over us gives us more impetus, right? More motivation to practice gentleness in our lives. When I think of gentleness, I do think of Christmas. I think of the fact that God sent Jesus as a a baby, a helpless, humble little baby. And yet the most important baby, the most powerful baby ever to be born in this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And practicing gentleness in our relationships, by the way, will produce joy in us. And of course, will produce it in others who are watching us. Simple acts of kindness. The Lord is near. He's watching. So we need to choose gentleness. The gentleness of Jesus, right? So men, let me ask you, are you a gentle man? How you treat others, are you a gentle man? Man, I still, you know, to this day, try my best to remember to open the car door for my wife. I know I'm old school, right? Open the door for my wife. I want to honor her. When we're walking on the sidewalk, I always walk holding her hand. I walk closest to the road where the traffic's coming. Why do I do that? Because if a car swerves somehow, I want it to hit me and not her. Besides the fact I got a pretty good life insurance policy. One of these days, I'm a little worried that she might push me out in the middle of the road. No, if I get her too upset, no, I know that won't happen. But, but, you know, driving. How many of you drive with gentleness? I mean, some of you change personalities once you get into that driver's seat. Some of you lose your salvation once you start getting behind that wheel. Now I move from preaching to poking. But the fact of the matter is, we need, want more joy in your life? You want to unlock more joy? Practice gentleness in the Lord. Verse six says this, do not be anxious about how much? Anything. Really, Lord? But in how many situations? Every situations by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Don't miss that. Present your requests to God. Third key, if you want more joy or unlocking joy in your life, you've got to choose prayer and thankfulness over anxiety. All of us, to whatever extent, are dealing with anxiety. It's a joy buster for sure. But is it a sin to be anxious? Is that what the verse is saying? I don't believe that. Anxiety is a part of being human. 
but we do have a choice. And this is what I love about the scriptures. We have a choice of what we're going to do with our anxiety. Are we just gonna dwell and obsess on these thoughts and things that are struggling and, and challenging us? Are we gonna allow anxiety to rob us of joy or are we going to go to our knees in prayer and say, God, I need you? Prayer, petition. And by the way, God, I'm also thankful. Don't let me ever forget your blessings and how thankful I need to be. But you know what happens when you get on your knees instead of complaining, instead of getting anxious, instead of going down that path, that spiral, you move from being a worrier to a warrior. And we need more warriors. Get on your knees and fight for the peace of God. Choose prayer and thankfulness over anxiety. Notice with thanksgiving. By the way, thankful people, did you notice, are less anxious people? It's so true. I met a man not too long ago. A part of my, uh, my job is I work as staff minister for a large network of funeral homes in Philadelphia, uh, Bucks County, and Eastern Montgomery. And I, my part of my job is to follow up with families who have lost loved ones. And I remember going to visit this man. And I looked in my phone on my notes. He's, he lost his wife. She was probably about 60 years old from cancer. And uh, I thought I was going to encourage him. I get there and I meet this man and I just could not believe like his attitude. I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to encourage him. And I came out encouraged because what he started talking about was how thankful he was for the time that he had with his wife. He was so thankful for the memories they made, for the love they shared, for the family that they raised. Oh, he said, I miss her like crazy. But he had this peace and joy. So of course I asked him about his faith. Oh, no surprise. He says, I'm a believer and follower of Jesus. And I know I'm gonna see my wife again. Man, you know, we can be so tempted to run to other things with our anxiety. Before praying, we run to people. And I know we have some people that we no will handle our anxiety and hopefully give us good advice. But sometimes we run to people and it's not always helpful. Sometimes we run to a bottle. Sometimes we run to a drug, something that will numb the pain. But guess what? When that high's over, when that drunken stupor's over, guess what? Your problem is still there. You all know this. And so we need to be running to God first in prayer and petition. Because what's the result of that? Look at verse seven. It says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. What that means literally is the peace that makes no earthly sense. What I experienced in that waiting room was a peace of God that made no sense. And that peace will guard your heart. That word literally in the scriptures means to garrison. It's a garrison of soldiers to protect our hearts and minds from the enemy. By the way, an unguarded heart is like a ticking time bomb. An unguarded heart is like a grenade with the pin that's pulled. It's just a matter of time before something bad is about to happen. And that bad, by the way, is our sinful nature. That bad, by the way, is an enemy who wants us to think wrong thoughts, wants us to dwell on the negative, wants us to dwell on, on things that are not gonna help us so he can keep us in that prison Something dangerous is coming if we have an unguarded heart. And I got to tell you, if I didn't have the peace of God guarding, guarding my heart on that day Lindsay was born, I would have been like, God, I don't deserve this. 
God, where are you? God, you're not good. Why, 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 why? And some of you have been there and some of you are there now. Life can be brutal. But I'm gonna tell you that the peace of God that passes all understanding that makes no sense can guard your heart and mind through Christ. And verse eight says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You wanna unlock joy in your life? Then you better choose your thoughts and change your focus. It's kind of like we're having a party in our minds. You know, if you have a party, you know who you want to invite, right? You know the people that are going to make it fun. And you also know the people that you don't want to invite. And I got to tell you, in every one of our minds, sometimes we have a party. You may call it a pity party or some other type of party, but guess what? You're having a party. And who are you going to allow to come to that party? Tommy Truth or Larry Lie? Nancy Noble or Negative Nelly? Admirable Al or Nasty Nick? Patty Pure or you get the idea. But you know what? There's some people trying to get into the party and we need to bounce them. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit in your life can be the great bouncer for you to say, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm, I've got this, this thought. And I, I just, this thought is not a thought that's gonna be helpful. God, would you help me bounce that thought? It says to think on these things, which means by the way, to meditate, to dwell on, to focus on these positive virtues. Though I gotta tell you, we can't control every thought that comes into our mind. But what we can do is we can take control of what thoughts we're going to dwell on, what we're going to meditate on, what we're going to focus on. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So God, this thought, this negative thought I'm having about my wife or my kids or my boss, God, this is not a good thought. This is not a pure thought. God, I reject this thought. We're gonna bounce this thought and here's what we're gonna replace it with. Something that's true, something that's pure, something that's right. Man, it makes all the difference in the world when you change your focus. Remember, Paul's writing this from where? from prison, facing death. Oh, by the way, he did die. In case you're wanting to know the end of the story of Paul's letter, it wasn't too long after that he would lose his life as a martyr for Jesus. But what was he focused on? He wasn't focused on that. He was focused on spreading joy in that prison cell to the church in Philippi. You know, there's another person in Old Testament history that I love, his name is David. Many of you know him as King David. Some of you remember his story. He was anointed king as a teenager. The only problem, there was another king already still living. His name was Saul. And Saul got so jealous, he wanted to kill David. He's chasing him all over the countryside with his army. David's hiding in caves, running for his life in constant fear. And even though he was anointed king at like 16, he didn't take the throne for over 20 years later. So he's running for years. And he writes Psalm 13. Just jot this down somewhere. Psalm 13, one of my favorite Psalms. And you begin to think David is like, you know, uh, has multiple personalities or something because he starts out in the Psalm saying, how long, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Maybe some of you are there today. 
You say, my, my goodness, you mean I can take my emotions to God? I mean, like, is that okay? Yeah, it is. God can handle your emotions, even when you're disappointed and angry with him. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? I feel like you forgot me. I feel like you've taken your eye off of me. You anointed me king, but... And then at the end of the Psalm, Psalm 13, he's praising God, singing praises. It's like, what? David, how did you start here and end up here? I'll tell you how. Take a look at the very middle of Psalm 13, where it says this. Look on me. This is David's prayer. God, look on me and answer. Lord, don't miss this, my God. Some of you may pray God. You may pray Lord, but you ever pray my God, my Lord. You have a personal relationship with him. Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Here's key. Give light to my eyes or enlighten me. God, help me to see my life through your eyes. Help me to see my situation through your perspective. Give light to my eyes. And then he says, I trust in your unfailing love. And then everything changed. You know, a year after Lindsay was born, we didn't know this. Because they told us, you know, preemies always catch up. Preemies always catch up. And guess what? Every time we went to the pediatrician, Lindsay's below the line. She's not at the right height, the right weight. She's not catching up at all. And they finally, after a year, suggested that we get her tested genetically. So we went to St. Christopher's Hospital in Philly. And sure enough, we got the report. They called us down and said, Lindsay has a, uh, a rare chromosome abnormality called Ring 13. And we started looking it up, trying to figure out like, what is this? What, what should we expect? And, and it's so rare that what we found was that there's only 70 reported cases in the world. Like there's not a whole lot of research on it because so many, hardly any kids have this. It's not like autism or Downs that have touched so many families. And basically every time we went down uh, and every time we researched it, the prognosis was not great. We went down and they said, you know, it's going to be uh, um, moderate or minor, you know, disability. Then it was moderate to severe disability. And then we went down and it's like, you're going to have to care for her the rest of your life. She's not going to be normal. We don't know how far she'll get. And I got to tell you, that night was really the first night in our marriage that we cried together. Cried together. But I got to tell you that over time, God has revealed to us like that he's in this and that he has a purpose for her life. And somebody actually gave us um, this story that I want to read to you. It's called Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. I still have the same paper that they gave it to me on. She writes, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this, when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make your wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may even learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. And after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives, you pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands and the stewardess says, welcome to Holland. 
Holland, you say? What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy all my life. I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's, a, there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't sent you or taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language and you're gonna meet a whole group of new people that you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they've had. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. My friends, changing your thoughts and your focus makes all the difference in the world. I don't know what your Holland is. Maybe it's that sickness you've been fighting. Maybe it's singleness. I thought I'd be married by now. Maybe it's your marriage thinking, I wish I was single right now. I don't know your Holland, but what I know is you can have joy where God has you right now. It's there. Verses 11 through 13 give us our fifth key. Paul says, I have learned to be what? Content. Content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the what? This is a key word. The secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Such an important key for you to experience joy in your life is to choose contentment and strength in Jesus. Notice contentment, by the way, is a secret. It's, it's, it's that key that you're not sure. What is this for? What, what, what does this open? It's contentment. And some of you have learned it and some of you still need to learn it more, but it will open joy in your life like never before. Contentment says, I have enough, God. I don't need anything else. Even when Paul was hungry, he said he was content. Lisa and I started out in a one bedroom apartment uh, when we were first married and oh my goodness, I don't think we realized how, how crazy it was what we were living in. All our furniture was, was given by family. We, we were on a, a mattress on the floor. We didn't even have a box spring or, you know. And we had, for those of you that are old enough to relate to me, 
brown shag carpeting. Anybody remember that? And sometimes the shag carpet would move and it was the roaches. And so they had to move us out and they had to like bomb that place. And then the roaches would move to the next apartment <laughs> and it would come back a few months later. But you know what? Lisa and I were like so happy, you know, and joyful. We were married and we had to learn to trust God, even though we were living paycheck to paycheck. We weren't sure at the end of the month, like how certain bills were gonna get paid. And all of a sudden an envelope of cash showed up under our door. A check out of nowhere came. But what we also learned in that season was that God never gave us more until we were content with what he'd already provided. We had to, by the way, also stop looking at other people and what they had. Look at that car. Look at that house. Look at that marriage. Now, we, we, comparison, my friends, is the thief of joy. And I hope you've learned that by now. And if you haven't, learn it soon. It'll serve you well. Many of you know that's true. And we've learned what Paul says next was absolutely true, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let me just say this. Some of us who have been raised, we, we know that verse, we memorize that verse, and we've taken that verse out of context so many times. I can do anything through Christ. You've heard it said in our culture too, you can be anything you want. Is that true? Sorry to break the news. No. I want to be a professional football player at 5'6", 155 pounds. Maybe if I'm a kicker, but I, I don't think I could even do that right now. I can't be anything I want. I want to be the next president of the United States. I have family members that wouldn't even vote for me. <laughs> you can't be everything that you want. But let me tell you what, you can be what God wants. You can be what God has for you. You can be all that he has for you. But you have to learn contentment. And that verse, that verse that I can do all things through Christ is tied to the verse before that I have learned contentment. In other words, I can learn to be content because of the strength that Jesus gives me. You gotta tie it together in context. So verse 19 says this, and my God will meet all your needs, all your needs. Notice it doesn't say all your wants, according to the riches in his glory in Jesus Christ. So number six, if you're keeping track of your, your keys today for joy, you need to trust in your rich daddy. Some of your minds are going other places. Your rich daddy, we all wish we had a rich daddy. My daddy was not rich. My wife's daddy was not rich. But I'm gonna tell you right now through Christ, I have a rich father. I'm a son of the king, you're, you're daughter of the king. And you can find joy in knowing that your spiritual father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the most loving, generous father you could ever have. One of the biggest joy brusters for so many people is the fear or anxiety over finances, over money. We all have it again, to whatever extent. And I gotta tell you, you know, when we started this Here to Stay campaign, you know, you start to feel it. Some of you've felt it, right? Like, God, 
you know, I have to, I'm being challenged to give or I'm being challenged to give more. I know for Lisa and I, it was something we really prayed about and we decided because uh, on our elders retreat back in May, we kind of learned and talked about the fact that we as leaders have to go first. And we started to increase our monthly giving, which we do auto give. And then we started thinking about our stored assets. And last Sunday, by the way, was Celebration Sunday where many of us brought our first give out of stored assets. And I remember talking and saying, I, mean, I don't know, but I think we're supposed to give this. And I gotta tell you, when, when I was about to, to give that, of course, last week we were at a family wedding. We couldn't, we couldn't be here for it. So this week we gave. And I thought I was gonna have more angst, but I gotta tell you, once I released that money, it was like joy unspeakable. God, what a privilege to give back to you just a portion of what you have blessed us with to further the kingdom of Jesus at the block church, through the block church. God, please take and use and multiply these gifts for Jesus' sake. And I wanna encourage you today, choose to trust your rich daddy. The last verse of this chapter gives us key number seven. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul often ended his letters with something to that uh, respect. The grace of Jesus, grace to you. My friends, grace in the scriptures literally means gift. And this key is the most important key. In fact, if you don't have this key, the others aren't there either, to be quite honest. And this gift is the gift of Jesus. I'm going to uh, just illustrate it briefly and then we're gonna close in prayer. Choose the gift of Jesus. So next week, whether it's Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, you're all gonna be exchanging gifts with people that you love. And the key to a gift is that, you know, it's offered to you. It maybe has your name written on it, but you can't actually have the benefit of that gift unless you receive that gift and take it as your own with a thankful heart. My friends, God, through Jesus, through Christmas, through his death, burial, and resurrection has offered us the gift of forgiveness, which we all need because none of us are perfect. And the gift of salvation so that we know, like Paul knew, when I take my last breath on earth, my very next breath is gonna be with him in glory. My friends, have you received the gift for yourself and said, God, thank you for Jesus. This Christmas, I wanna receive the greatest gift I could ever receive. Would you all stand with me as we close today? Because I wanna give every one of you an opportunity to respond to this message and to receive the gift. Some of you are here today and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you prodding you. And you know it's time to, to, to take a step of faith, to step across the line and say, I need this gift. I need Jesus in my life. I need this key to joy that only comes from him. And so I want to pray for you today. If that's your heart's cry, God, I need you today. And I want to receive the gift of your son. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Raise your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Someone else. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you, ladies in the front. I wanna receive the gift of Jesus this Christmas, the greatest gift you could ever, ever receive. Prayer team's moving to just be ready to pray with you in just a moment. But I wanna lead all of us in a prayer and I'd like all of us to participate in it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for forgiveness. Jesus, I need you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my leader. God, change my life forever. And may this Christmas be one that I celebrate in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let me celebrate those who've crossed the line of faith today, those who've received that gift. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.